please uh, have a seat. Um, normally, while we read the scripture, I'd ask you to remain standing, but we're going to read actually the entire first chapter of First Peter, um, just to give us some context as I was thinking about that. We've been working our way through this first chapter. You may feel like it's a snail's pace, but the Lord willing, it's been worth it. Um, but we are going to read the first chapter of First Peter. And uh, if you think back to uh, Peter's life, uh, it's pretty amazing when you think of how uh, Peter went from denying Christ three times to witnessing uh, on the day of Pentecost in uh, Jerusalem um, and boldly proclaiming the gospel in the very city where Christ had been crucified. Uh, and he kept that boldness up through many years and then wrote uh, these two wonderful letters. If you are not familiar with First and Second Peter, they're, they're wonderful letters. And so we're going to hear the first letter that God inspired Peter to write. So this is the word of God from 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's hear it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, uh, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Being pure, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Now, it's my habit to talk directly to the young people because sometimes you feel like this is a very long sermon and I kind of forget where we're going. But I'm going to tell you something that's true. Um, my dad was uh, good and I was never afraid that my dad was going to hit me. Never. My dad sometimes was pretty strong and sometimes told me if I did things that were wrong, but he never hit me. And I learned from that that I didn't want my children to be afraid when I came by. That they'd think, oh no, is daddy going to hit me again? I didn't want them to think that, and thank God they never did think that way. But how do we think about God? Do we think, is God going to get mad at me? Is God going to hit me? Is God going to make my life hard if I come to him? Well, Peter is helping us understand that we shouldn't be afraid to come to God because God will love us and care for us if we believe in Jesus. No matter what it's like in our lives, no matter how tough things may be, uh, we can come to God and tell him how we're feeling and what we're thinking and what we're doing. And God helps us. And let's pray that God will help all of us to listen to what he says in the Bible and believe what he says, okay? Father in heaven, we pray that you by your Holy Spirit might be present with us now because you inspired your word for us today, not just for those people 
2,000 years ago, but for us today. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust in you. Not be afraid to come to you with our questions or the troubles in our lives, but remember who we are before you. We are yours in Jesus Christ. Help us as your people to trust in what he has done so that we live according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of people afraid in our world, aren't there? You, uh, you see the pictures from uh, Ukraine and you see uh, people uh, having lost everything. They might have a paper bag that's got some clothes in it and they're leaving their home and their home has now been crushed uh, and destroyed. In our own, in our own country, uh, there, are, there are women who are afraid of their husbands. They don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing because they've been hit before by their husbands. There are children like that who know what it's like to be hit by their parents, their mom or their dad. There's one woman who called her children or said of herself that she was a, a demon assassin and she was always looking for things in her children that made her think that they were demon-possessed and she was going to get them. And they were terrified of their mother. Well, people are also afraid of God. They're afraid that, that God's going to get them if they do something wrong, if they step out of line. It's like uh, in the Army or the Navy or the Marines, when you, you line up, or the Air Force, when you line up, you don't want to step out of line because the sergeant or uh, commanding officer is going to get you. So we don't want to think of God that way, looking at every move that we're making, getting ready to hit us. So look at this passage that we're looking at today. And we're looking at really one verse today, uh, verse 17. Let me read that again. If you've got that, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, now, that mentions fear. It's phobos. We got phobias, right? It's phobos. And so he does talk about fear. But, but what does he mean by fear? Is it the kind of fear that a child feels when the father walks by and the child pulls back because they're, they're waiting for that slap or they're hit to, to come? Um, now, of course, the Bible talks a lot about fearing God we're supposed to reverence God. We're supposed to look at God and, and remember that he's almighty and, and we're just creatures. Uh, but we've got to think about what Peter's saying here. Now, the context is really important here as we think about this. Peter's told us that we're exiles. We're exiles. Where are we exiles from? We're exiles from heaven. We belong to heaven. We don't belong here. We got citizenship in this world in some place or other, but we belong in heaven. We're exiles because we've been chosen by God. God has done something amazing. He freely said, you're mine. 
And we go through our lives saying, why me? <laughs> you know, there's no reason for anything in me, but you've chosen me. But instead, God has sent his Holy Spirit to apply the gospel to our hearts. And we've been sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Not literally, but our sins have been washed away. And we're going to sing a hymn before we leave. Uh, this is the great salvation that we experience. Now, sometimes it's like we've come to a full stop in our lives. And we have to look around and we have to say, is this true? Is this really what's happened? You know, we we had a, a recent movie uh, not too long ago called The King's Speech. Some of you may have seen it about George the Sixth, And George the Sixth uh, was the second in line to the uh, British throne. But in 1936, his elder brother, Edward, uh, decided that he wanted to abdicate and get married to uh, another person and uh, come to be that she was uh, an American. So that made him ineligible and he abdicated the throne. And George VI became king. <laughs> he was king of the British Isles and emperor of India and all kinds of things. And he had that crown on his head and, and he had a stutter. Now, he had to make lots of speeches, but he had this stutter. And so the movie was about how he got over that stutter. He didn't expect to be king, but he became king. And sometimes we look at ourselves and say, how come I'm here? How come I'm God's child, obedient child? That's what it says in Scripture. This is uh, overwhelming to us because God said something so so earth-shattering is to say, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And you can think of a lot of things about yourself, but do you think of yourself as holy? Do you think of yourself as somebody that could stand in God's presence and say, nothing in me, you won't find anything in me? We're disciplined in lots of ways, but are we disciplined in fighting sin every day, all week long, our entire lives? Are we disciplined that way? It's very difficult when we hear the word of God say, you should be holy for I am holy and say, I'm to be an obedient child of God. And yet that's not what I am. So what are we going to do? Well, this is why these verses that follow, beginning verse 17, uh, begin to help us think how this is to work in our lives. Now, the ESV says, and if. Now, <clears throat> that word if always brings a question in our minds. If, if am I a child of God or not? If I'm a child of God. Or does it really ring true in my life that I'm a child of God? 
That, that's not how Peter is using the word if. What he means by if is he says, this is what you are, and because this is what you are, this is how you're supposed to live. If you are a child of God, this is how you're supposed to live. If you belong to Christ, this is how you're to live. Now, my dad's name was Harry. My last name is Doe, D-O-E. I have to spell it for people a lot of times because they don't believe it. D-O-E. They think it's made up. Uh, but if I'm Harry Doe's child, there's a certain thing that I've got to do. i got to live up to that name because my father was a honest man. He was a man of integrity. If he was that way, am I that way? If people look at me, do they say he is Harry Doe's son? Now, the Christian is supposed to be holy. That means devoted to God. So Peter is telling us what we do if we belong to Christ. Now, the very first word in verse 17, and it doesn't show up in translations, the very first word is father. Right off the bat, Peter wants us to think of our relationship with God in a special way. We are his children. Now, the basic way we think about God determines a lot of things that we decide about our lives. If you are a Muslim, you think of Allah as the singular one power in the universe. And he is all powerful to look at your life and decide if you will be in paradise or get away from God. How do you think about God? Is God father in Islam? He's not He's not father in Islam. Is God father in Hinduism? Well, there are a million gods in Hinduism. So how can one be father? So he's not father in Hinduism. And certainly in other religions, that problem is the same. Jesus scandalized people by telling us that we come to God and call him father, our father who art in heaven. He tells us that we can come to God and call him father. This is an amazing thing. When we come to God, how do we think of him? Now, how can we look at God and call him father apart from the gospel promise that Jesus obedience becomes applied to us. To me, this is my hope. My hope rests in what Christ has done, not in anything that I have done. Christ has paid for sin and removed sin as far as the east is from the west. How can God do that? Yet he has set his son as the one who bears my sin. And Christ not only bears my sin and pays for my sin, but gives me a righteousness, a standing before God that is his own. Christ's righteousness becomes accounted to me. How amazing is that? 
And so his record of obedience to God's law, his intercession for me, his constant intercession, his prayer for me, caused me to have confidence before God. And there is a verse in uh, John 17 that you can meditate on and, and think about this afternoon. It's John 17, 23. Listen to this. Jesus is praying in John 17, okay? And he's praying this way, and he says, I in them, the believers, and he's praying to his Father, I in them, and you in me, his Father in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may believe now that you have sent me, and get this, and have loved them even as you loved me. Listen to that again. And have loved them even as you have loved me. God loves his children in Jesus in, in the same way he loves his perfectly obedient and righteous son because we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. God loves us in Christ with that same love. We're loved by the holy creator of the universe. And this is the point of Jesus' saving work, that we might have that confidence to come to God. We just sang um, part of Psalm 103, a great psalm if you haven't I'll look at it lately and go back and think about that psalm or think about Romans uh, chapter 8. We've gone through Romans 8 and, and if you remember that um, chapter, he says this, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What a great thing that you can call God Father. Because God is our Father. When Peter says, you shall, quotes the Old Testament, you should be holy for I am holy. This isn't something foreign. We're to be like our Heavenly Father. We're to be imitating our great Savior. So, first of all, we appeal to him. We call on him to work. We call out to him, cry out to him. Now, this uh, this crying out that it says there in verse 17, if you call on him is, is the kind of um, calling that, that comes in prayer. When you want to come to God, you are calling to him and saying, here I am, I'm your child, and, and I need help. And this is what God does. Now, we look at the world around us, and sometimes we focus so much on our own our lives uh, that we forget that we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to make a difference in this world. But how do we make that difference? We make that difference by being obedient to God. 
And he tells us about this, that we love one another. That love becomes the hallmark, the hallmark of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says that in John 13, doesn't he? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So we want to show love to each other as God's children. But we do it in lots of ways. You know, you have a lot of choices if you have broadcast TV or Netflix or any of those things. There are all kinds of things out there. And what are you going to watch? <laughs> it really doesn't matter. I'm just got the tube on. It's in the background. I'm thinking about other things. You know that stuff influences you. It certainly influences children. They want what's on the TV. They want those toys or that candy or that cereal that's on the TV. You've got a choice. What are you going to do? How's your life going to be different because you're God's child? Are you going to love the people of God around you? Are you going to act like God's child by loving the things that are right, turning away from the things that are wrong? Are you going to say no to sin when everything in you wants to say yes? Are you going to say no? Well, Peter says it's during the time of your exile. And this helps us because it says this isn't forever. Our exile only lasts a certain amount of time. You know, when you're doing something that you don't have to do, you can always look at the end and say, you know, I know that this job is only going to last for the next 30 minutes. Or I got to run and I got to run three miles and I'm through the first mile. I can I can do the next mile and, and then I can do that last mile. And you keep going or five miles or whatever you're doing. You push yourself and you say, there's the end in sight. And you're doing a job and you're thinking, this job's hard. But you know, if I just keep at it, I will finish that job. Well, Peter says during the time of your exile, your exile's got an end because you're in exile from heaven. Your exile's got an end. Either Jesus comes back or he takes you to be with him. And the time of your exile is not forever. And sometimes we feel like our time is forever. But fighting sin, living the holy life is not forever. We have our eyes on our permanent home. Our permanent home is heaven. We remember that because one day we've got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, look at Peter. He says, Call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Oh, brother, God's going to judge me according to my deeds. Has Peter forgotten that salvation is by grace through faith? Peter has preached that. Ever since Peter was converted, he's been preaching that. So Peter hasn't forgotten that our standing before God is on the basis of of what Christ has done. But 
we have to take seriously that our lives are to be different. We can't say, well, you know, God's going to take care of me. I mean, Jesus has paid for my sins and now I can do whatever I want. No, we live lives that God says are to be different. They're to be holy. They're to match up to who we are. We are God's children. In that day, God will be the impartial judge. Now, of course, if you think about that, you think about, oh, brother, then God is going to bring up everything, all the dirt in my life. Well, who do you belong to? Do you belong to Jesus or not? God's going to bring up his son. Now, God will judge impartially. That means God is going to look at us in light of who Christ is. That's my hope. God will look at me in terms of who Christ is. We haven't received a spirit of fear, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The motivation as God's child is to remember that we are in God's family. Christ has done this. Does this make a difference in your life? We have a hope, and that hope can't be put to shame because of what Jesus has done. But we prepare. We strive. The Bible is full of promises for those who are ready to lay it all on the line. You know, Olympians get to that moment, whether it's winter or summer, they get to that moment when they've got to lay it all on the line. They don't hold anything back. They're going to put every bit of energy they've got into whatever event it is because they have trained and trained and trained for that. We're going to lay it on the line for our Savior because he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. If we are adopted as God's children, God's Spirit is in us. Paul puts this in this way in Galatians 2.20. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, I live by faith. See, this is the answer to fear-driven living. It's to live by faith. We're not moralists. We don't think, well, God's got to receive me and accept me because I've done everything right. Because we know that's not true of us. We conduct ourselves with that reverence because we're going to appear before the holy God and that God is an impartial judge and we need to be in his son we need to be in Jesus but when we stand before him we have that promise before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. 
when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. And this is great. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's how we live, by faith. We live by faith in what the Son of God has done. And so, fear-driven, li- fear-driven living isn't for the Christian in the way the world looks at it, but in terms of faith-driven living, we reverence a holy God. He is a God who has compassion on his children. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And Robert Layton, one of my favorite commentators, uh, has this to say, I will not sin because my father is a just judge, but for my frailties I will hope for mercy. Get this, because the judge is my father. You want to think about this some more? Read First uh, John chapter 4. There will be encouragement for you there. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we pray that you would make us confident to live before you holy lives, lives devoted to you, lives that regard you as our judge, but also as our father. And you have taken all of our sins and placed them on your son. And you have given in return his righteousness to us that we might not fear to stand before you. We thank you for all these great promises that come in the gospel. Make us people of faith, living by faith in a sinful world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to...